If you are not taking into account environmental issues, social issues, if you are not in sync with the society in which you're living in or you're operating in, your company is probably not going to be there in a long time. We're speaking with Alice Steenland. She is the Chief Sustainability Officer of Dassault Systems. Alice, tell us about uh, Dassault Systems and give us a sense of your role as Chief Sustainability Officer. Deso Systems, for those of you who don't know us, we are sort of a world leader in what we call virtual twins. So creating virtual universe in which you can, in fact, invent and design and, and create anything. Um, so that's what we do. We make those for um, companies and uh, also for universities and different um, sizes of organizations and types of organizations. And I am the Chief Sustainability Officer there. It's a newly created function, was created last year. Um, but I have been the Chief Sustainability Officer for many years in other organizations um, and have been working in this field for about 20 years. Why did Deso Systems create this Chief Sustainability Officer role? It's a company that has had in its mission um, a corporate purpose, as we say, uh, this idea of enabling sustainable innovation to harmonize product, nature, and life. And that's been there for many, many, many years. And I think the idea was that the virtual universe in and of itself helps increase the sustainability footprint of an organization. Because if you are no longer making thousands of physical prototypes and trying new manufacturing processes that you have to redo over and over again because you don't know if they will work. You are wasting massive amounts of resources, of energy, of water. Um, you are being very wasteful, in fact. And so doing all of this in a, in a virtual world means that you're doing it the first time right. So you are being kind of, in many ways, um, more efficient and more sustainable in the use of resources. I think what has changed now and what, has, what pushed the company to uh, create this function and create this position is really uh, that the world has changed so much and that not only do people want to think, oh, well, I'm doing this better. They want to know exactly how they're doing this better. They want to measure the CO2. They want to measure the savings in terms of water. They want to measure their impact on the environment, understand what they're creating, what its impact on the world will be. Um, and that's because the expectations are rising from investors, from consumers, from everyone across the board today. So there's a kind of rising tide of interest in sustainability. What does it actually mean? It seems like in the press, it's, it's kind of used in a very loose way. I've been in this space, as I mentioned, for a long time, and I have uh, seen in very different parts of the world, it actually gets different, has different connotations. So it's not only a word that can be used very differently uh, in English. So I'm, I'm an American, I've used this word for a long time, but not only does it have different interpretations here, but different interpretations across the world. Um, I'll give you one definition, actually two, if, if I can. Uh, so the first one is the, the actual meaning of the word sustainability, the original meaning, which was to say, this organization, you know, if, if I am a sustainable company or a sustainable organization, it means I will be here in 20, 30, 40 years. I can sustain my activity. And that's where the original concept came from, which is that if you are not taking into account environmental issues, social issues, if you are not in sync with the society in which you're living in or you're operating in, your company is probably not going to be there in a long time. And that's actually from an investment perspective or financial perspective, what we've seen. So we've seen for many years, uh, sustainable or ESG um, 
uh, uh, high performers, basically outperforming the market over long periods of time. So I think um, that's one way to think of it is it really is about the sustainability, the viability of the organization over time. And the second way of thinking about it is this ESG terminology. So environmental, social and governance issues. This is the definition used by the investment community to talk about sustainability. And it just gives you an idea of what are some of the things that they're looking at. And in fact, a funny fact is that they used to call this uh, extra financial or non-financial information, which essentially meant that any indicator or any uh, process or any information about the organization that is not purely about revenues and sales can be considered material from an ESG perspective. So it is a very broad topic. And when you, as a sustainability professional, talk about sustainability in business, are there components? How do you break it down? How do you think about it? ESG in itself is a framework, right? So you're looking at the E, the S, and the G. So that's one type of framework. Another type of framework is taking all of those issues and looking at the most material issues for your sector and for your company. So obviously the issues that I'm focused on working in a tech company are not the same as my colleagues who do the same job in a food manufacturing firm, right? So they're going to be very focused on uh, agricultural issues, land use issues, biodiversity issues. I am very focused on how do you green IT? How does IT green the rest of the economy? Uh, We're all working on slightly different aspects. So Materiality is another term you hear a lot, and that's a framework for thinking about which issues you prioritize uh, within that. And then there's another framework that's very commonly used, which is um, inside out. So starting from what are my own operations? So for Dasso Systems, what are direct operations? uh, Where are priorities in that circle of influence? And then what are we doing for the rest of the world? So what are our products and services doing to impact the rest of the world? Um, And then beyond that, even beyond our customers, how are we engaging with the broader community, other types of stakeholders, regulators, investors, uh, all of our supply chain? How are we how are we interacting with that larger circle? So that's another way of thinking and working on these topics is is the inside out type perspective. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like there are two components, two aspects. One is the business performance dimension. And then number two is something that's strikes me as a little bit squishier, a little bit more vague, which has to do with contributing in a positive way to the world. Is that a correct way to view it? <laughs> that is one way to, to think about it. And in fact, there are different, um, for example, there are different reporting frameworks out there. And some of them are focused on what are the most, what are the ESG issues or the sustainability issues that will be most material financially within the next five to 10 years. So that's one way of looking at it. And that's really about performance. Like let's prioritize those issues that are gonna actually translate into a direct financial uh, uh, impact on a medium term relatively soon. Um, And then there are other reporting frameworks in terms of what you're supposed to be accountable for that actually come from the stakeholder perspective. So what are all of the stakeholders of the organization? And that includes the planet, uh, the the natural environment, that includes um, civil society, that includes obviously your employees and your suppliers and your customers. But you can take that stakeholder perspective and say, what is it that our company is doing that impacts them? And if we know that's important for our stakeholders, eventually that will be 
important for us. And eventually it will have a financial impact. So if we don't take into account those stakeholder perspectives on what they care about, the issues they care about, eventually that's going to come back to sort of get us. And that is, those are two slightly different ways of looking at that um, set of issues that we've got in front of us. So there are a number of different pieces that come into play when you talk about sustainability. And so the, it seems like the equation becomes very complex very quickly. You could say that. It's, I would say it's becoming even more complex because you're having, um, now you've got concepts like not only we've got zero carbon, now we've got the circular economy. So there are these different ways of thinking about how to get to the solution um, or how to find solutions to get to a much more sustainable economy. And they are going to be um, diverse and multiple, and there will be lots of ideas out there. And in fact, we're seeing this rise in interest in the topic uh, on all sides, the regulators, consumers, et cetera. And so that means a proliferation of ideas of, oh, have we tried this? Can we try this? And we need those new ideas. We need these what I call moonshot ideas, crazy ideas. But that does that does put us in a situation where it's com- becoming a very noisy field with lots and lots of information, new initiatives being launched, new legislation being launched. And so it, that I think it is um, for folks that are new to this topic, sometimes it can actually be quite overwhelming, even just the jargon. Yeah. One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is uh, are the economic impacts. And so would you maybe explore that for us a little bit? Well, let's just take what we've seen, I'd say, in the last couple of weeks, like with um, several, for those of you who've been following the news on this, several fossil fuel organizations have been hit by um, uh, legal decisions and regulatory shifts and uh, a bunch of um, uh, sort of unexpected, I would say, surprises in terms of uh, questioning the the core business model. And this is something that for folks working in sustainability has not come as a surprise because this um, type of event where you have sort of a sudden loss in the valuation of a company Um, is quite common in the ESG field, which is that a topic like human rights or climate or, um, you know, the way you treat your employees is not material until one day it is. And it becomes very material all of a sudden. So there's a lot of these shocks to the system. So like the, the you know, um, health and safety on oil rigs hit BP very, very hard uh, many decades ago. And there, and there have been these repeated sort of shocks to the system. And this is um, what we've called in the, in the uh, ESG investing community for a long time, because I worked in finance for many years. Uh, we called the, that stranded assets. So these are assets that people own. They're in stocks and portfolios across the world. People have stakes in these companies, and they uh, all of a sudden one day become stranded because the entire ecosystem around them has changed, and the winds have changed, and the tide has changed, and there's been some shock to the system that creates very drastic drops in valuation. And that's actually what we're starting to see with fossil fuels, but it's what we've seen with some other companies uh, in terms of human rights abuses and their supply chain, et cetera. So um, it's a very, um, uh, I would say, yeah, material financial issue. And I'm not even talking about the legislation that's coming online, which is going to be a direct cost for companies that are not ready for this. Why is there this intersection between sustainability and ethical purpose? That seems less clear to me. 
one of the, I say, thorniest topics because it comes back to your earlier question about, you know, is there a financial side of this and then sort of like a social kind of side of this? And this is a space in running an organization today where those worlds are sort of mixing and it, and it makes for a very thorny uh, topic. So um, there are, you know, what we're seeing now is employees really speaking out very loudly about what they want or they don't want their companies to do in terms of policies and behaviors and the way they engage with customers and things like that. Um, and so, we, you know, we've seen it obviously in the areas of racial justice, but also in the areas of climate where, where actually the employee base is getting organized and saying, we want more of this or we want less of this. And so it, and that never really happened before. Um, and that's really changing the dialogue and the way people are thinking about the role of business in the world. Uh, before, you know, you sort of, you had your business side and then you had people's ethics and their personal, um, you know, what's important to them personally, et cetera. And these were kind of two different spheres. And what we're seeing is this merging of the two spheres. Um, and so that is making it for a very tricky, I think for CEOs today, it is very complicated to walk that line. So there is this very strong balance then between sustainability and the corporate policies as they affect social the, the social fabric just in general. Yeah, I think so. On the other on the flip side, um, one of the things that is um, I would say getting easier in this topic is that I think the financial upside of doing more on environmental, social, and governance issues uh, and doing better in that area is becoming much more clear as well, right? So it's becoming trickier and more and harder and more complicated, but the upside I think is becoming much clearer. So you have the rising generation of millennials very clear about the fact that they will associate and buy and invest in organizations that prioritize environmental and social issues. Um, and they're putting their money where their mouth is. And what we're seeing is a generational shift in wealth towards, the, towards that um, category of consumer, if you will, or citizen. And so that is just going to change the way you think about marketing products, about creating new products, about engaging consumers. And that's, that's a big part of the new upside to sustainability, which is a very clear demand on that side. Um, combined with, um, you know, Desso Systems headquarters uh, is in France, and uh, and so we have a very large footprint globally, but but a very large footprint here in the EU, and we're we're subject to the EU regulations, and we are seeing things come online that are clearly going to change the playing field and are going to give a huge advantage to companies that know how to manufacture with zero carbon emissions, that know how to know what a circular product looks like and have an idea of a business model of how to make that work. Those companies are going to be positioned very well, and it's very clear that that's going to change the landscape and give it a real opportunity and advantages to companies that move quickly on this. Alice, is sustainability therefore a net positive or a net negative from an economic standpoint in business? In the minds of most leaders around the world is, is right now changing quite quickly. So I think this area um, for a long time was seen as sort of, it's kind of like compliance. It's like, we have to do some of these things. It's not a legal requirement, but really everybody's expecting it from us. So we've kind of got to do it. It's a cost center, et cetera, et cetera. Now I think we're in a very different space, which is, you know, usually if you just take like the, the energy sector and the massive global ambition on greening the energy sector, and that's just one sector, um, but it's a very obvious one. Um, you know, 
if I think if you're an energy player and you're not well positioned on renewables today, you your your business is going to be in trouble in a few years. I mean, you need to understand the dynamics of of this change. And I think um, I think more and more folks are seeing that this is not about um, just sort of making people happy or doing the right thing. This is a massive global business opportunity. Um, and in fact, there was some research done a few years ago talking about, you know, the energy transition and highlighting what sectors had to gain from the innovation uh, that they would, you know, the innovation, the new innovations coming online and the, and the revenues that would come from those. And we're talking about, about $12 trillion uh, annually of new innovations and new opportunities for growth for different sectors. So I think there's, um, if for the companies that are well positioned on this, I think this is a wonderful, uh, positive opportunity. Arsalan Khan asks, he says uh, on Twitter, all organizations use IT and the greening of IT would definitely help them. Absolutely. He asks, do organizations of different sizes and industries share their lessons learned with each other? Because without that sharing, sustainability would become be very piecemeal interesting thing about the tech sector is that it is the only sector where the emissions are actually quite, you know, are exponentially growing year on year. And that's because a lot of the other sectors are using technology to become more sustainable and green their operations. So it's a, it's a strange paradox, but it's, it is calling increasingly more and more attention to the issue of green IT and how do you green our, our you know, I work for a software company, how, how do you green software is becoming a, a, an issue. So uh, our friends at Microsoft just launched a, a green software foundation uh, a week ago, right? This is becoming a big thing. How do you green software? How do you make code that's greener? Um, but the entire IT sector, especially the hardware producers are very focused on this, the leading uh, actors around the world. Um, because it is a serious issue. And to the question about collaboration, uh, just to give an example, we are part of a couple of organizations. One is called the Global Enabling Sustainability Initiative. That is an organization that brings together companies from the entire ICT sector, telecoms, uh, hardware manufacturers, software manufacturers, bringing us together to say, how can we be more sustainable across the entire ICT sector? And we are doing, we just launched uh, with that organization, something called Digital with Purpose, which will be a global certification scheme, a little bit like organic food today, you will get a label if you are a high-performing, uh, sustainable tech company. Um, and those labels, uh, we're coordinating also with uh, governments around the world to say, you know, when you do your procurement uh, and you are in government, this will be a, a sign of quality. This will be like a quality certification, like an ISO certification in the future. So that is a, an example of collaboration. Another one is um, we're a founding member of the uh, European Green Digital Coalition that similar idea backed by the EU. So it's very stakeholder <laughs> interactive. We've got, we've got government officials and regulators and business people um, and, and nonprofits and everyone is working together there to try to come up with some guidelines for how do you measure the impact of IT, both from you know, greening IT, but also how do you measure the impact of IT on the rest of the economy in terms of sustainability? Um, so really interesting, really, um, I would say smart collaborative work going on now. And of course, data centers are enormous consumers of power, yes. not to mention uh, Bitcoin mining these days. Yes, 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, yes, the Bitcoin um, conversation is an ongoing one, but that's, I mean, you've seen, you've seen what happened with sort of these announcements saying, oh, this is this cool new technology. And then the pushback saying, hey, whoa, you know, this thing is going to destroy the planet even faster than before it existed. So th that I think is a really interesting example of how tech is becoming increasingly focused on sustainability and how you actually can't talk about technology anymore without talking about its implication for the planet. And not meaning to put you on the spot. So you so please feel free to refuse to answer this. Any thoughts, <laughs> any thoughts on Bitcoin? Oh my, I, so A, I am not a Bitcoin uh, expert. Cryptocurrencies in general, they really see them as being linked to um, um, independence and, uh, and so, some sort of basic kind of uh, liberty and, and human rights kind of in a positive sense, um, a way of sort of um, uh, decentralizing power um, and that that is sort of the future of the economy. And so it's sort of a metaphor for the broader economy which I think is quite beautiful. And then there's the actual, you know, what's happening today. And there's this, you know, we have not figured out uh, how to how to use these cryptocurrencies without uh, very large amounts of energy consumption. And so that's just purely not sustainable. So we've got to figure out another way to do it if we want to do it. Um, but there are, yeah, the, that is uh, um, uh, certainly a very controversial issue within tech and green. <laughs> And you're not going to tell us whether to buy Bitcoin or not. I, will, I am not going to take a position on that at all. No, I will not. Okay. Well, we have a great question from LinkedIn, and this is from Sai, Sai Penamuru, and he is the chief technologist at DXC Technology, a big company. And he says, he asks, how has COVID-19 changed the role of sustainability for organizations? A lot of people were worried, um, you know, this idea of the Maslow's pyramid, like you focus on what's your most essential need and then you move out from there. And so you, in, in periods of stress, you deprioritize things that are not essential. And I think there were a lot of folks in the sustainability community who were thinking, oh dear, this is a global, um, uh, this is such a huge global challenge and such a huge global disruption that people that actually their people are going to cut their sustainability work around the world just to go into survival mode. And what has been amazing is that the opposite has happened. So there is more investment in sustainability, more interest in ESG. The inflows into ESG investment funds ex completely exploded during the pandemic. Um, part of that, interestingly, is because the companies that were the most resilient were the ones that were the highest rating on a lot of ESG rankings. And that's just because companies that are paying attention to ESG issues and sustainability issues had been working with their supply chains for years. So they were very intimately connected to their supply chains. And that gave them a certain level of knowledge, understanding, and resilience during the um, pandemic. So that's an interesting uh, side note. But there was also a global, I think, um, consciousness about our fragility, about our dependence on the natural world, um, about our role within it that was really called into question in a lot of people's minds. Um, and so I like to cite a survey that took place in the beginning of the pandemic where uh, citizens from around the world, all countries were asked, um, uh, do you want your government to act as forcefully 
on climate change, for example, as they are right now on the pandemic. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> we've never seen anything like this action on the pandemic, right? We are shutting down the entire global economy to try to save people's health. So um, the answer was overwhelmingly yes. And that was in all countries. So you saw North America, uh, very high rates, Europe, um, uh, also around 70, 80%. Um, Asia as high as 90% in some countries. So this was a globally shared experience to say, we are part of a natural ecosystem and we are in danger and we don't want to go down this path anymore. So this build back better concept has really translated into more investment in sustainability in organizations, more investment on from the financial front and more regulation is, uh, is coming online also because of that uh, mindset shift. And we have another question from Twitter. You can see I prioritize the questions that come in from the audience. They tend to be great, great questions. <laughs> they are great. So far, so good. Great questions. Okay. So picking up on the data center point earlier, uh, Elizabeth Shaw asks, how should data centers become more environmentally sustainable? And I guess let's just, you know, we can just broaden it to, again, the whole data center issue. Take the example of DASO systems. If you measure our carbon footprint, um, if you include the emissions that come from the use of our software, that is the running of data centers to process the software around the world by all of our um, close to 300,000 customers, if you are taking those emissions into account in the footprint, it's close to 97% of our, of our carbon footprint. So it dwarfs anything that has to do with, you know, our office building heating or um, even the computers we're buying, um, et cetera. So th it, it is actually a massive global footprint. Um, and so this data center piece is really important. And on the greening of that, there's a lot of work being done. Uh, the first and I would say easiest answer is the idea of, well, where's the power coming from, right? So can we green the power source behind the data centers? So can we make sure that our cloud is run on green energy? Google and others are doing a lot of uh, work in this space. Um, but then there's, there's also the question about, um, you know, I think there's a real question about sort of the massive, massive amount of data that is being processed is also being stored forever, right? So you post something <laughs> and it stays on a server forever. Um, and that sort of massive accumulation, I think at some point there's going to be a big conversation about that sort of accumulation and stocking uh, of data all the time. So I think that's a, a, another topic. Um, and then there's the actual functioning of the data centers themselves. So there's a lot of really creative stuff being done about um, using tech, in fact, to have sort of AI monitoring and optimization of data centers so you can really uh, precisely control the heating and cooling system so you can recuperate the heat and turn that into energy so that you can uh, minimize to a maximum the water needed for cooling as well. There's a lot of really creative experimentation being done um, on the, the actual sort of operations, I would say, of a data center. It's a very interesting point that you just made about the accumulation of data. All these large companies, Google, Microsoft, I mean, everything pretty much in the cloud involves increasing storage on a permanent basis. And so therefore, the sustainability challenge is continuing, continuing to grow. And there is no opportunity for decrease if things are left alone. Again, is that a correct way to think about it? I would say that in terms of prioritizing uh, where folks are working, there, there, there is less work on that 
angle than there is on sort of the greening of the energy sources, which are sort of in some ways the quick wins in that conversation. Um, this uh, sort of constantly increasing amounts of data, there, there's a lot of stuff has been written about um, also sort of the consumption patterns uh, in the consumer world. So I work on um, industrial kind of software. So we, we're mostly B2, B2B and we are active in life sciences and manufacturing and cities and things like that. Um, but there's a real question in terms of changes of behavior of the average person in terms of how much we're consuming every day and how much of our time is spent in front of screens and how many videos we're, and this sort of that piece of, con of consumption, which is not correlated. So a lot of industrial software use, for example, is directly linked to making things more efficient in, in one way or another, right? So people buy this kind of software to optimize. So either they're optimizing for efficiency or they're optimizing for CO2 reductions. So uh, you, you kind of say, well, it's sort of balancing. It's going to consume energy on one side, but it's going to help other industries to really decarbonize faster. Um, for everything that is purely consumer consumption of media, consumption of, um, of IT, uh, there we have, it's more of a cultural sort of mindset thing. I mean, the, the, and so it becomes a much stickier problem to work on. So like the working groups I'm in are not talking about how do we deal with the number of YouTube videos out there. <laughs> that's not what we're focused on. Also, because that's the hardest thing to talk about and to work on. So you're looking for the quicker wins, the easier wins, essentially. Yeah. The other side is, you know, are you going to start limiting people's access to videos or something? You know, I mean, it just becomes, these become intricate, not just environmental questions, but real social questions, real behavioral science questions, real freedom questions, liberty questions. So it becomes much more complicated and trickier. So yeah, I'd say um, people are very aware of it, but the, the hard work has not started, I would say. And on the topic of thorny questions, we have a great question from Arsalan Khan again. Arsalan is a regular listener. He asks, he'll ask great, he asks great questions. And he says this, he says, so if there are economic, operational, and global benefits from sustainability, are you seeing resistance to sustainability and why? Like I said, I've been working in this space for more than 20 years. Um, it is so different today. I mean, I, I like to give the image of being pushed and pulled, right? So I used to be pushing the organizations I was working in saying, this is important. This is going to come. It's going to happen. And now I am being pulled by the organization. Please help us do that. This Teach us how to do this. Uh, come with us to these meetings. Do you know? So it is the dynamic has completely shifted. So I'd say the resistance levels have just fallen off a cliff in the last two years, essentially, uh, maybe since starting in maybe 2018, but really with the pandemic, like I said, it's completely accelerated. So the resistance has dropped off a cliff, I'd say. Um, where it does exist, I'd, I'd equate it to one of those situations like, um, you know, the future is here already, but it's not distributed evenly, right? Which is that the leading companies have totally gotten it and are working on it pretty seriously and see what's coming and they're planning for that. Um, that is not, that is not, you know, the, the real fabric of the economy is small and medium-sized companies that are not listed companies. They have not been subject to investor pressure. Um, it, it's another, the real economy is another world, in fact. And, and so I think the, 
the what's happening now is you have this massive acceleration in listed corporate, large listed corporations. And, and what's happening is because we've hit that tipping point, it's translating, I'll give you an example into legislation here, where now um, like climate risk reporting is going to not just be for those listed firms towards their investors, it's going to be for any registered company at more than 500 employees. So th- what's happening is the legislation is going to basically, uh, I would say, transform what was kind of a, a niche for leading players into a very generalized um, approach to what business is about. It's not just about being profitable. It's also about managing other issues and being um, strong on those other issues as well in terms of performance. Alice, how does an organization get started with this? One way to get started is, is doing a bit like what we mentioned earlier, which is actually looking at where the hotspots are. So where are your biggest impacts um, uh, from either a financial perspective? So there are some financial quick quick wins around um, environmental sustainability. So, you know, very basic stuff like, um, you know, changing your light bulbs is actually a huge cost saver for most organizations. Um, So there's stuff that's kind of low hanging fruit. Um, And then there are the things that are um, your biggest impact. So, like we were talking about for digital, right? It really is this sort of impact of the digital itself, the data servers, the data centers, et cetera. Um, So there's an impact assessment piece, but I would say even above that, the first step is think about the governance. So it's the governance question to me is always core uh, to how you can get anything done, regardless of what you want to work on. So the first question is, how do you position this in your organization? Uh, what is the connection to the board of directors? What is this connection to the executive committee? How are you going to move your organization structurally and organizationally around the topic? And then those people, once that is in place, will start choosing, will start running these materiality assessments and impact assessments and try to understand where they should be spending most of their time. But the first piece is, how am I going to run this topic in the organization? And that's actually a governance question. Once you begin with a governance question, suddenly it seems that the problem, the challenge of implementing this organizationally becomes really hard. The only way this thing is going to happen is if you have a very engaged executive committee and a very engaged board who's willing to to invest in that governance, right? So that's taking even a step back. So if you have that, if you've gotten to that stage of conversation saying this is something that's going to hit us in terms of investment, in terms of regulation, in terms of consumer demand, in terms of employee demands, we need to work on this. If you can get that conversation going. And again, I think the resistance to that message is so much lower today than it ever has been before. Um, If you can get that conversation off the ground, that is a governance question. So once you have an okay for that, the very top levels of the organization, then it's a normal follow-up question to say, okay, so where where are we going to put the resources? Uh, How are we going to recruit somebody to do this? And, and fix the accountability systems so that whatever they do makes sense and we agree with it and it's strategic and it's smart. Um, so I don't know if it's more complicated or less. That first conversation is hard. Um, but now, as I said, it's getting easier. I'm just thinking that anytime you try to implement a change program in an organization, especially at a, on a broad-based level, it's hard. That, that's, that was my job is, is in fact, um, to be a change agent within the organization and to do change management and transformation processes. And that's, that skill set is 
as important or even more important than how much I, I understand about science-based targets and um, um, diversity inclusion reporting or what have you. So um, that, that you're absolutely right, which is the, the, the real tricky, tricky part. And I would say the real, the core skill set of a chief sustainability officer is in fact that, which is how do you move, how do you move large complex organizations? How do you get them to change? Um, and that's, yeah, that's a combination of what is the outside. I like to say we sit on the edge of the company. So what is the outside expecting from us? And, and what are we like, what, what do we want to do? What do we want to prioritize? Um, and how do we merge those two together? How do we find the sweet spot where we're doing something that makes sense for us and makes sense for all these new um, demands coming in on this front? Constance Woodson says she's curious about carbon footprints in mainframe environments as distinct from cloud computing, cloud server <laughs> environments. <laughs> People have heard a lot this idea like it's greener on the cloud, right? Um, so I don't actually know where that came from exactly because it all depends on what kind of data centers you are running. So how efficient they are and where, and mostly where they're located. So where does the energy come from? So if you have a cloud solution with some sort of shared cloud uh, server or public cloud, but it's actually being run out of uh, a country whose energy um, uh, mix is entirely weighted towards coal, then that is not a green, that's, it's, you'd be better off just running it on your own mainframe servers in your own, uh, uh, wherever you are, if that energy mix is better. So I would say there's not really one answer to that question. Um, it, it all depends on what the energy mix is, which is why, um, you know, some of the biggest public cloud providers um, uh, are really trying to green their energy sources so that they can have that as a marketing argument to say, we know we can provide you with a greener solution than what you've got today. Uh, today, it's not the case. It's not, it's, it's really not clear that that's the case uh, across the board. And thus you see the rise of data centers in Northern climates, whether it's Norway or Iceland, for example. Mm -hmm. yes, yep. Good point. Yep. Okay. So batteries are a hot topic right now. How can we make batteries more sustainable? 85% of the electric vehicles in the world are designed um, and created within our software. Um, so our software was sort of at the heart of the electric vehicle revolution and the battery. Um, the batteries are designed with this software. So anyway, but if I come back to the question, um, the, the real challenge with batteries, um, there's the, the question of, you know, how long they can last and how much energy they can stock, et cetera. But then the real question you hear a lot, um, uh, today is about, well, what about the end of life and the recycling? These are very, uh, there's a lot of uh, rare metals. There's a lot of, um, really valuable materials in here. If you look at the total life cycle impact of a, of an electric vehicle battery, um, it's actually very heavy in terms of CO2 emissions. Using the car uh, is less so, but the batter making the battery needs to be counted uh, into how you think about um, uh, the total footprint, the total carbon footprint of, uh, of uh, a vehicle like that, for example. Um, so the real issue uh, with bat or one of the big issues with batteries these days uh, is this issue of the, how do we get to a circular model? So how do we move towards 
um, basically sort of throwing those, throwing those materials away, which are actually becoming more and more valuable, and instead keeping them in the economy for longer. So you're seeing uh, the creation um, of uh, global sort of centers for recycling of electric batteries, um, where they're going to try to recuperate as much as possible of that uh, um, material and get it back into the economy. And, and now with some of the resource constraints on some of the elements necessary to run these, uh, you're seeing individual companies, not just states, but individual companies trying to organize, how can I get that back? There's something created here in France by Renault called the ReFactory, and it's all about recuperating the materials and reusing them in the production system again. Can you put on your organizational change agent hat for a moment and share some thoughts on where sustainability should live inside an organization? One of the reasons you need to be a change agent is because it's one of the only functions in an organization that is completely transversal. So you, we, you know, we have to work with folks on tax, tax policy, on with on facilities, uh, on software design, on diversity inclusion issues, on executive remuneration issues. So we are literally working with almost every function in the organization. So then the question of well, under which function would it sit? becomes a real question. And that's why you've started to see the, the creation of these jobs actually um, either directly sort of reporting to the board or directly reporting to the CEO, because it's so completely transversal that it is, um, uh, that there's actually no good place to put it except maybe at the top in terms of strategy as a strategic orientation. Um, so I think that's a great question. Afterwards today, where those positions are, um, including mine in, in, and in many organizations, um, can be can sit actually anywhere. So I've seen them in HR be highly effective. I've seen them sit on the product-facing side. I've seen them sit on uh, the risk management side. And it kind of depends on to what extent your executive committee is actually engaged and they're serious about it, and then how good the person is at their job, frankly. Um, I happen to sit uh, in a customer-facing part of the organization. So I um, am uh, leading a lot of work with uh, the folks who are designing, who are defining market strategy. What products do we sell to whom? Um, how can we be at the cutting edge of the sustainability needs of our customers? And that's the scope that I'm slightly more focused on. But I'm also still responsible for the carbon footprint of our data centers. So it, it can sit anywhere. And the question is, you know, how invested is the leadership? Um, and how much support do you have to get it done? It can work almost anywhere. What final advice do you have or final thoughts on sustainability that you can share with business leaders who are listening and, and who want to do something and maybe even are hesitant or unsure or things aren't going as they planned? I think now is really, really the time. If you're not, if you don't feel like you're equipped to um, really uh, take this on board in your strategy, um, now is the time to get ready for that. Because th this is a dramatically changing, I would say, business ecosystem. Uh, and the, it is changes are happening faster than I ever thought they would. I mean, we really hit a tipping point and now stuff is happening every day, like new legislation or, or new uh, investor initiatives or new, it is, it, is, it is accelerating very quickly. So my one piece of advice would be if, you, if you're not already working on this, please do get started because I think it's, 
to come back to the original definition of sustainability, I think it will be key to the long-term viability of a lot of large, large organizations. So um, I would say um, uh, speed is of the essence, yeah. Okay, well, Alice Deanlin, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, it was my pleasure, it was really fun. Thank you so much, Michael. Everybody, thank you for watching, especially the folks who contributed such great questions. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can send you our newsletter. It's a really good newsletter. Tell your friends and check out CXOTalk.com. We have great shows coming up. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time.